You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church, but I will not be teaching this morning. And I think this is a very sad thing. With all of our students up front, they're in the spit zone, and I would love to have an opportunity to preach this morning. But uh, I'll be right behind them, smacking them on the head if any of them go to sleep. You guys probably got, what, about three hours sleep this weekend? Yeah, not just last night, but the entire weekend. It is a good-looking bunch, an unusual fragrance right in this area, but it's a good-looking bunch uh, up here this morning. Um, as Chris mentioned in, um, during our prayer time, this really has been a difficult time. Today, for our body, now this is not a part of our body, today will be the fourth funeral I've attended in eight days. Um, three from our family, and then Al Johnson is being laid to rest uh, this afternoon in Fuquay. Um, I... I, I Think about when you're around this many people who are suffering loss. It used to be that we were around death. Uh, everybody had a, a child or some family member who died in the presence of others. But that's a rare thing today. And we can tend to forget that our hope is not in this life. It is in eternity with Jesus because of his sacrifice. So... Um, Pray for all of those who have lost loved ones. Gary and Debbie Nelson coming back today. Deborah Webb uh, having said goodbye to her grandmother last week. And then yesterday, uh, Lisa Pelton's father was uh, remembered in a funeral at Chapel Hill that Allison and I attended. And then got home and got news that Marilyn Tate's sister had gone to be with the Lord uh, at 3 a.m. on Saturday morning. And Marilyn was there came back, we'll be going back for the funeral. So just pray. It's not that it's affecting anybody specifically or not that we're not losing members of Grace Community Church, but they're family members and it's loved ones, people that we love dearly and in many cases going before you would have anticipated them going. So just pray for our body. Well, um, it, it, it's, there's no way to segue into this, but I, I, again, I think Chris said it. Well, our hope, and he, he didn't use these words, but our hope is not in this life. And we receive hope and we receive strength and comfort and courage from God's word. Uh, today, I am delighted to introduce our speaker, and most of you know, Joe Hunziker from Italy. Um, or Hunziker, as we say here in the South. Um, I, I was a camp director for 20 years, and I often thought camping in Europe would be a great way to share the gospel. Because what happens at camp doesn't happen anywhere else. You're, you're away from your familiar surroundings, no telephones, no uh, devices, no TV, no anything. You're just alone with people, and it's the way life used to be all the time, except that you're doing a lot of crazy stuff in the process. And you have opportunity to think, we used to say at TBR, 
It's kind of a crisis ministry. If you don't have a crisis when you get here, we'll try to create one for you while you're here. It's time to do business with God in a place like that. And where Joe and Stefania and Aaron and Mattia and Joya serve is a beautiful place in central Italy. But so much more than that, it is a beautiful um, place for people to come to Jesus Christ. It's way more than just a camp. People are coming to Christ all the time there. And that is unusual in Italy. That is very unusual. So we are privileged to be a part of that. The, the Hunzikers are here with us for 10 months. And one of the great things about being around people from other places is that they say many of the things that we already know, but they say them in such a way that it just grabs our attention and our, captures our imagination. And we're going to hear a lot of that from Joe Hunziker this morning. So Joe, come and share God's word with us. Thank you, Brad, for the introduction. It's really uh, a great joy to be here. And first of all, I want to thank you all for having received us so greatly and made us feel at home right away when we came seven months ago. And we really feel very, very privileged to be part of a great community and just to share with you and to be with you. It was very, very encouraging for us. Also, this uh, seven months were already very profitable to us, and we're looking for a more. Uh, we're looking ahead for two more months to come, and learn more and enjoy more of what the Lord has for us with you here. Yesterday, it just happened, as things happen, that I read an article on my cell phone about uh, a research on 30,000. Uh, people about sleeping habits and sleeping problems, about rest. And it just <coughs> tied in somehow very good with uh, what I wanted to share with you. And rest, this refreshing, quiet, or repose of sleep, a good night's rest. It's a very simple concept, actually, but not always granted, isn't it? Rest is something we might lose very easily, not only, I'm not talking only about sleeping, but also about, uh, you know, there might be family issues or health issues, relational issues, uh, work, as we heard. There are many things we battle with and we are confronted with that just take away the rest, the ease, the being relaxed. And so this was kind of something I was struggling with and thinking about quite a bit in the last few months. And I realized that rest actually is already a theme in the Garden of Eden, where everything was perfect. And then rest goes all the way through the Bible. We see it in the story of the people of Israel that found rest in the land where there was milk and honey flowing. Then we see it in the prophecy, looking forward for rest. Then Jesus comes, he offers us rest, come to me, you that are heavy burdened. The church is looking for a rest, and then we come to the end of the book, where we finally are back in paradise, 
going into ultimate rest with our Lord and Savior. So rest is all through the Bible. But how do we get rest here in 2017? I think it's a theme that all of us are kind of interested in, of having rest, getting relaxed, being at ease, when many struggles and difficult things in life are uh, knocking at our door. So what I would like to... Uh, well, actually, as a family, we also came over here for our sabbatical. And we hoped and thought it would be more restful here than being at camp. <laughs> but it came a little bit different than we thought. And the Lord taught us quite a few things. He taught us and still is teaching us, and we are still learning, to <coughs> pray through challenges till you come to the very end of the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed it this morning, and it just fits in really great. Till we come to the very end of the Lord's Prayer, where He teaches us to say, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. This is not just an ending, because they didn't, Jesus didn't know how to end the prayer. <laughs> but this is a request, or a prayer of repose. When you come to that very conclusion, that's all about him. It's about his kingdom, about his power. He is in control and about his glory. But actually, this is not our uh, text. Our text is Psalm 27, where uh, David, King David, he was also wrestling with different <coughs> things of, uh, that he had to battle with. And so we want to look how he was managing these challenges of finding rest. And he gives us actually a maxim, you say, uh, something really special that he says, one thing and the one thing only. And it's interesting. Jesus picks it up a thousand years later when he talks in the house of Lazarus to Mary and Martha. And he said, Martha, Martha, one thing is necessary. But let's see what Psalm 27 says. So please, if you would like to stand up with me as we read the word of God and read Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. So war arises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in this, His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter. In the day of trouble, He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He'll lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. 
I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and, I lead, me, and lead me on on level paths because of my enemies. Give me not up to the e uh, will of, the, of my adversaries, for false witness have risen against me, and they breath out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask you now that you would talk to our hearts, that we can hear and feel your talking. Please help me to teach what you taught me so we all might love you more. Thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So to structure a little bit my thoughts that I would like to share with you, I want to ask us four questions we'll go through. What was David's struggle? What was he battling and fighting with? What was taking his rest? What was David's desire? How did David put it into practice? And why could David be so confident, as we see in this psalm, when he starts out really confident and he ends very confident? So to our first question, what was David's struggle? Well, we just read there were some evildoers against him, adversaries. There was even an army encamped against him. There was war raising against him. Well, you might say, I'm not a king, I'm not, I don't have to be worried to be overthrown from my position or killed from my position, or I don't have an army at my doorstep in the backyard. But then David goes all the way to the other end of the spectrum of struggles, of difficulties that might take our rest. When he goes to verse 10 and 12, where he says, Father or mother, that have forsaken you. Maybe your father or your mother has done wrong to you. Then he talks about, about false accusation, even physical threats. I think he lays it out pretty much that there is somewhere in this life we all get hurt and we have to struggle and there are difficulties we have to face. That's reality of life. Life on this planet that unfortunately is not paradise anymore. We all have to face struggles, we all have to face sooner or later something that will take away our rest, our being at ease and enjoying just life. 
In this fern world, there is always something, in this fallen world, there is always something that wants to threaten us and take away our peace. So, we are pretty similar to David, uh, suffering in one way or another, or having this uh, threat of taking away what we really uh, like or enjoy. So we are already at the second point, so we are going fast this morning. <laughs> and we are looking, what was the, uh, David desiring? What was he praying for? Well, we saw his struggle. What was he coming to God to pray for and ask him for? First of all, actually, I want to tell you what he did not ask. He's not going to God in his presence and asking to fight the army or to take away the evildoers or to change circumstances. We don't find anything of this in, in this psalm. But what he is, well, there's nothing wrong with that, praying for that, right? Because even in the Lord's Prayer, we are encouraged to pray, give us our daily bread, deliver us from evil. But if you think about, and we just prayed through it this morning, the Lord is teaching us before we come to the requests to think about Him, that He is Father, that He is a Heavenly Father, that He has a name, He is personal, yet He is holy. He has a kingdom. So we understand there's a lot to think about and to pray about before we think about circumstances or our circumstances. That's actually what we learn as we grow with our uh, Lord, our relationship grows. We can pray that he might protect us from evil, from <coughs> financial crisis or that he may heal us or protect us, that we keep uh, in good health. But at the end, we all know it's not actually that's, it's not that, that that is our issue, that is our problem. It's not about bad circumstances because Frankly, on this planet Earth, bad circumstances will happen to us. That's just part of life here. There is always this, as we said, this grumble of threat to our lives. You know, you might be in vacation or everything goes fine with your family, your work, everything is just perfect, but there is always this threat that a bad sickness or bad circumstances might happen and you might lose it all and the ease is gone. Underneath there is always this, <coughs> this groaning, this, this threat to us. So what did David ask for? What was his desires? And we read it here in verse 4 when he says, one thing, one thing, 
I ask from the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What is he talking about when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to see you. I want to seek your face. I want to gaze upon your beauty. Well, when he talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord, he talks about the tabernacle, right? Further, he, further down, he calls it, as we saw, the temple or the sac sacred tent, shelter. But this is David talking, not Solomon. How can he talk about the house of God? It's not built yet. And I'm almost certain that David does not really want to live physically in the tabernacle. He's a king. Priests and Levites live there in the tabernacle. So what does he mean when he emphasizes it so much? And in the Hebrew, actually, it comes out even stronger than we have it here. It says, one, 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 one thing I ask. This single-minded, the singleness of purpose. He wants this very thing. And this is what he is telling to us. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes or what it costs. But I want unbroken fellowship with you, O Lord. I want to know more about you. Not only know more about you, but I want you. I want to live all the days in your presence. I want to be attached to you all the time. All my days and from morning till evening and even in the night if I wake up. Remember, he, he writes I'm lay, uh, when he's laying on the bed and thinking about the Lord. He wants this unbroken fellowship, this one thing. Well, actually, this single-mindedness that David shows here is a very normal human behavior. That's the way we are wired. That's the way we are made. To set our thing, our thoughts, our heart on one thing and to have it by all means and even adore it. That's the way we are set. That's the way we are made. That's human. And that's something even the Greek philosophers found out already. And St. Augustine comments on the uh, Greek philosophers telling us that. He says that if you set your heart, or the Greek philosopher said, if you set your heart too much on one thing, you're going to be hostage emotionally by that thing and you will become enslaved to it. So if you live for your career or you set your heart on having a great home or even you set your heart on your family or your kids or your grandkids, this very thing will sooner or later enslave you. It will drive your life. You will be up if everything goes fine with it, with your goals. And if something comes across and things are not going very well with what you have set your mind on, you are down. And you are up and down. You are whipsawed by it. 
that's, I think, we all experience that in life, isn't it? That things we set our mind on, that they will enslave us. And we need to have it to be happy. So the philosopher's solution was detachment. Don't get too much involved in anything or anybody. Don't get too much involved so, because it will drive you up and down and you will get hurt by it. So the philosopher said, detachment. And St. Augustine says, that's so wrong, but yet so right. It is right because everything in this world will really enslave us. It will drive our lives if we set our mind, minds on it. But is detachment a solution? St. Augustine says, it can't be. This is so selfish to detach. Would you love your spouse or your chi children less just to be kind of cynical and distant? So. <coughs> The relationship will not hurt you anytime. That's selfish. That's just thinking about me, isn't it? <coughs> so the answer is this. You should not love your children less. You should not love your spouse less. You should not invest less in being lazy. But you should love God more. You should not only know more about him, but love God more. Know his love by experience, to feel it. This incredible love we sang about it, this unchanging, incredible love of God that is not based on my performance, but is based on his decision. That's why David basically says, I want this relationship with God where I don't ask things from God. Because again, if I just go have a relationship where I ask God to hear my prayers, well, if he hears my prayers and answers as, as I want, I'm up. If he doesn't, I'm down. And again, I go up and down. And David says, I don't want just to come and ask for things. I want you, oh God. I want to be attached. I want unbroken fellowship with you, oh God. One thing, one thing only. To live all my days, from morning till evening, in your house, in your presence. That's the one thing David asked for. And that's the one thing we need to find rest, to be relaxed, even if there is an army against us. So, what is David facing? Well, he is facing precariousness, he's facing the threat of bad, as we do. What is his one desire? Unbroken fellowship. And what does David do to love God more? 
What is he doing to love God more? David desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, as we read. And then in the second half of this verse, he tells us what he is doing. He says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So let us just quickly meditate on these two things that David likes to do as he lives together, as he has this unbroken fellowship with the Lord. To gaze. What does it mean to gaze? It means to look. It means more than to look. To stare. To drink it in. Or to look and look and look until it, it's burned into my mind. So it will be always there for recall and replication. David doesn't mean a literal gazing with his physical eyes on kind of a um, brightness or any kind of, uh, of thing that would happen in physical vision that would happen in front of him. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord speaks way more of the difference between head knowledge and heart experience of who God is. Well, I'm sure you agree on, with me on that. There's a huge difference between reading a scientific article on how honey might have the flavor of lemon if the bees are under the lemon trees as they produce the honey. There's a difference between reading this article and tasting, actually, the honey with your tongue and tasting the flavor of lemon and the sweetness of honey. There's a difference, isn't it? So, that's the same thing when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You don't just believe in the doctrine of God's omniscience, of His wisdom, but as you gaze on it, if you think about it, and you meditate on it, and you remain there, it becomes so real to you that you finally just relax. He knows. Right? That's a different thing than just knowing it. It comes down to your heart. Or you don't just believe that the doctrine of God's love, but you feel it. Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. That it really, that this, you feel deeply loved, totally accepted by God. And you just feel and delight that God decided to love you. Or you don't just believe God is holy, but as you meditate on it, it purifies you. And you do not live anymore the way you used to live before. That's gazing upon the beauty. Gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. <coughs> there are actually two things that happen as we gaze on, on the beauty of the Lord. And I want to just show you quickly these two things. The first thing that happens, you can't help but praise Him. You know, if you gaze upon the greatness of the goodness of the love of the Lord... You can't help but sing to him or verbalize what it 
does to you. You know, it's kind of like two lovers when they see each other and they watch each other and they can't help but just tell the other how great he is or how beautiful she is or how, you know, they can't just help but do it. It's the same thing we should do with God. You know, as you gaze on his beauty, we can't help but just praise him. But there is a second thing. We are becoming very, or we are satisfied when we look at the beauty of God. And we don't come to God just asking, God, help me. You know, if we have this attitude that whenever we go to God and say, please help me, you know what? We have, we see God only helpful. Well, everybody sees him helpful, especially if you are in a difficult position or a danger or sickness. It's good to have a helpful, powerful God that can help you and change your situation, isn't it? It's easy. Everybody sees God helpful. But only a changed, recreated heart will see the beauty of God. And as you see the beauty of God, you know, the beauty of His goodness, of His steadfast love, you start to say, Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power and the glory. And you understand, it's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about I having everything under control. But it's about Him. When I'm asking, and then, you know, as we said, we are allowed, we are encouraged, we are taught to ask in prayer. But, you know, if we ask, we should always remember that in Him, we actually have the essence of what we really need. In Him, we have the essence of what we really need. For example, just make one example. If you pray for healing, maybe for yourself or for a loved one, a brother or a sister, you know, we can do that. We should do that. Paul asked for healing for other people and for himself. But we should always remember that the only sickness that can destroy us is sin. And Jesus has dealt with it already and has healed us from it, right? That's the only health we actually need to survive for eternity. And we have it already. Sure, as I said, it's right to pray here as we live here also for the other. But let's remember that. That's the thing when we pray, Thy will be done. I desire to be healed, and I know you can do it, and I pray with all my faith because I know it's no problem for you, but Thy will be done. It's about your kingdom. You might have a bigger, or not you might have, you have a bigger picture, and you know what's the right thing for me right now. So let us always remember, in Him we have already what we actually ask for and need. But let's get back to the unbroken fellowship 
the, to love God more, what David likes so much and what he is trying to help us to see how we can neuter this love for God. He does two things. He gazes upon the beauty of the Lord. We saw that. And then he inquires in his temple. That's kind of strange, isn't it? It looks like David would like to walk around, wander around in the temple and see how it's set up, how it, the ornaments are, how it's decorated, and inspired by that, somehow love God or uh, praise Him. But the temple wasn't built yet. How can he say something like that? Well, we remember David had the blueprints of the temple. And he knew how it had to be set up. And he knew that the whole setup of the temple and all the decoration in it was telling about how God would deal with sinners and with sin. And the ornaments were pointing back to paradise where everything was perfect. Actually, everything was pointing ultimately to Jesus. And David knew somehow about it. So when he asked, and he said, I would like to inquire in his temple, it's somehow the same thing as he says in verse 11, where he says, teach me your way, O Lord. So he says, I want to gaze on your beauty, and I want to learn your way. That's what David desires, above all. But where do we learn about his way, and where do we see his beauty. That's easy for us. In fact, we cannot know God unless He reveals Himself to us and He has revealed Himself in His Word. So to gaze upon His beauty and to learn about His way, we have to go back to our Bibles. And as you meditate on what the Bible says, you easily come to the conclusion, or I think you also come to the conclusion that you say, if this big God loves me that much and unconditionally and promised me that at the end he will raise me up and raise me, make me perfect and take me back home with him, with him then why... I am still trying to, satisfy, uh, to justify my wrong behavior instead of admitting it. Why am I still worried about things when he promised me, me that he will take care of me? And you know what we are doing now? We are just in the process by gazing upon his beauty or learning his way from his word to enjoy his beauty and to be changed by the beauty of the Lord. By seeing I don't have to do it, he will do it within me. So that's the one thing, the one thing he is asking for, David is asking for, to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty, and to learn his way to inquire in his temple. And if he, sa he says, if you have this thing, then you have rest. Then you can face the challenges. You can be confident. 
Just let me tell you a story, a true story that happened in the year of 1850. A group of six Englishmen left Great Britain on a boat to go all the way down to uh, Patagonia, South America, to start an Anglican mission. On the way there, they got shipwrecked and they got on an island. And all six of them, within the first year, died, one at a time, because of ex exposure and thirst, hunger and sickness. The last to die was Ellen Francis Gardner. And they found later his uh, journal where he wrote down his last note. While he was dying, losing everything, his life, his wife, his children, his plans, stripped of everything, he writes his last words, I am by his abundant grace kept in perfect peace, refreshed with the sense of my Savior's love, and with an assurance that all this is wisely and mercifully appointed. This is incredible. How can he write down a phrase like this? Being stripped of everything, dying, not even accomplishing the good work he was going to do. Because he had the one thing. He came to the point where he could pray for dynasty kingdom, the power, the control, and the glory. If I have you, I have everything. So we saw David faced evil of this fallen world as we do. We saw the one thing he was desiring is to dwell this unbroken fellowship with the Lord from morning till evening and even in the night. How was he nurturing? How was he growing this fellowship? By gazing on the beauty on the beauty, not on the helpfulness, on the beauty of the Lord and learning His way. But why was He so confident? Last point, why was He so confident? Why could He say in the beginning, the Lord is my light, my stronghold, my life? <coughs> he was troubled from all around. And then He even says, He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He was talking here about going into the tabernacle to find shelter. Nobody was ever allowed to go in unless the high priest one time a year on Yom Kippur. How could he say, I will go in there even do sacrifices with joy and be confident and how could he have this confidence? In the Old Testament, whenever uh, we see different people also in the New Testament when, when, whenever they saw God or His Shekinah glory they were like that you remember uh, maybe Job he saw God and he, sa and he repented in dust and ashes 
Or when Moses came close to the glory of God, God told him, stay away, it will kill you. Or when there was Isaiah, Isaiah that went into the temple and the Shekinah glory was in there, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Or Peter, when he realized who Jesus was, he said, please depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And David comes and says, I will go into the tabernacle and I will celebrate and I will make noise, uh, joyful noise, and I will sing. And then he even says in verse 10, So my father and my mother forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. You know what this means? At David's time, family was everything. It was above everything, and you don't mess up with your family. If your mom or your dad would forsake you, it means you screwed it up. You really did it. And David has the courage to say, even if I did it really, really bad, really shameful, really disgusting error against God, he will still take me in. Even if everybody else would forsake me, even my father or my mother, you will take me in. How could he say something like that? How could he be so confident about that? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> That's not a smart thing to say, but I don't know because he didn't have all the revelation we have. But I, I know why we can say it, that he will always accept us, that he will always take us in. Please come with me to John 1, verse 14, where John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John actually uses here a different word than dwell. He uses the word he tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among us. Well, that's John's way to say Jesus is the tabernacle, where you can see the Lord's beauty, where you can see how the Lord deals with man, his way, full of grace and truth. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. And listen, here is why we can say that God will never forsake us. He will never let us down. He will always take, it, take us in. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was standing in your place. He was taking the forsakenness you and I deserve. That's why if you believe in God through Jesus Christ, you can, no matter what you have done, how bad it was, you can be sure he will never forsake you. He will take you in.
So while you and I struggle and seek rest from the rumbling thread of evil of this fallen world, remember David. One thing, one thing only I have asked from the Lord. This one I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let us make time to gaze upon his beauty. Let us engage in unbroken fellowship with the Lord, with the one that always takes us in because Jesus was forsaken on our behalf. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to have unbroken fellowship with you. That you desire it, that we come and stay and remain and dwell in your presence all the days of our life. Thank you that you wait for us. And that you forgive us for not seeking you, not gazing unto, upon your beauty so many times. Please put this huge desire to dwell in your house all the days of our lives in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will all face many distractions this week. Um, I just pray that we can take what we've heard in this service today, especially Joe's message, the time that we had to focus on communion, and use that as a focus for what to keep in mind what's really important as we go through our daily lives this week, and that's our relationship and our faith in God. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.